Hello everyone, I'm Jacob Kaufman. And I'm Richard Bimmer. And welcome to episode 7 of Rolling Release, our Linux podcast about the perpetual improvement of Linux. Did I say Linux twice? I don't know. How you yeah. doing this week, Richard? <laughs> Pretty good. Alright, uh, so we have yet another new co-host with us. Uh, Richard is going to be joining us for this week, maybe a couple more. Um, so yeah, you want to give a... that was a super quick intro... Uh, but yeah, we have some exciting news this week we're going to talk about. Maybe we'll have a feature later. Uh, Richard, what's your experience with Linux so far? Um, so I'm a computer science major in university right now. I just finished my first year. And I didn't really start Linux using it a whole lot until then. I'd always like to kind of just mess around with it because I was just interested in that. But um, I use, on my desktop, I have two hard drives now, one with Windows, one with Linux. I use Linux mostly when I do programming on it. And on my laptop, I have elementary OS. And my laptop is actually a Chromebook that I just rewrote the firmware on. I had to rewrite the BIOS, which was not a fun thing to do, but and then replace that with elementary OS. So I've also used it on a couple VPSs, like with just Ubuntu server and stuff, which has been interesting to try and do a couple times. But I used Lin I moved from DigitalOcean to Linode recently as well. Cool. So you have personal experience using Linux and your developer. Yeah. So this will be great. We finally got a co-host who actually knows probably more than I do about programming, at least, and knows you know actually knows what Linux is and everything. Um, all the other co-hosts before this have been like new to Linux, uh, but none of that stuff anymore. Now we've got someone who who knows what's going on. So we're gonna jump right into our first story this week, Richard, and we've got uh, Fedora 26 has been released. Congratulations to the Fedora team and. Uh, yeah, did you take a look at the Fedora 26 like release notes? No, I did not. But right. I've, uh, I've I got, really am more used Ubuntu and yeah. like its related distros for the most part. So. Fedora was my first ever distro, so I like to keep an eye on it and see what's happening because I it was how I got introduced to Linux and it was the first one I used for like six months before I discovered other distros. But yeah, Fedora 26, um, it was approved on July 11th for final release, and it appears to ship with 15 different editions. You can get it with GNOME, wow. which is the default, yeah. But you got KDE, XFCE, LXDE, LXQT, Mate, Cinnamon, uh, Sugar on a Stick, uh, Server, Security, and Robotics edition. The Sugar on a Stick, I think that's like that weird, yeah, it's the pie type thing where your menu is a little circle here. Um, pretty lightweight, but yeah. It's an interesting edition, but yeah, you can get Fedora yeah. with any of your different desktop environments. Um, there are also some new, there's a Fedora 26 design suite, Fedora 26 games. Uh, you can download all of these uh, as live ISO images from the Fedora website now, and they've actually got a website, torrents.fedoraproject.org, is where you can go. Uh, that's the torrent server, so you can grab those. That's cool, they have official torrents. And yeah, uh, there's another article here from ZDNet. It's got a little bit more information about what actually is updated and improved in Fedora 26. Uh, they do point out this is the um, first time in a while that Fedora has been released and the final release date has not been postponed at once during release candidate phase. Like they went alpha, that was postponed a bunch, it was postponed a bunch of beta, but when they hit release candidate, they stayed on schedule until the release. Uh, that hasn't happened okay. for a while, so that's cool. Um, Good accomplishment on their part, I guess. Yeah, I mean, Fedora used to have a really rigid every six month we release, every six month. But then, like, something happened a couple years back, and then they just started being kind of like Debian, where it's like, well, we release when we're ready. So it's interesting to see them kind of getting back into a schedule. Uh, Fedora 26 has 
kernel 4.11.8 um, and 4.12 was just released about a week ago so that was too late to make it into this Fedora release but that's alright um, the LXQT spin that is an addition Fedora 25 did not have an LXQT spin um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that um, no not exactly huh I actually don't know what LXQT okay. is. I yeah, that's that. LXDE and RazorQT merged, and they made LXQT. So, uh, okay. for whatever reason, there is a Fedora 26 LXDE, but then you've got Fedora 26 LXQT now as well, if you want the newer QT-based lightweight thing. So, um, if you do get the, just the standard Fedora workstation, it comes with GNOME 3.24.2, and then, yeah, basically when Fedora opens or when Fedora releases an update, it's just all the packages are updated now. They're six months newer versions, just kind of like Ubuntu updates. Um, yeah, of course, Fedora is sort of like Debian in that it only ships free and open source software in its default repositories. So you can't get Flash, you can't get official Java, you can't get that kind of thing uh, unless you go and add in a third-party repository like RPM Fusion is the most popular one, but there are some other ones out there kind of up and coming as well. So yeah, if you're a Fedora user and if you're into the whole RPM package management thing, definitely check out Fedora 26. Uh, yeah, it's at, um, let's see, is it getfedora.org is their current website. Uh, yeah, that's what it is. So you can grab that now. Go check it out. Alright, uh, any other thoughts about that? Not a whole lot. I feel like I should have tried out Fedora at one time, but I haven't really. Yeah, it's I'm uh, stuck more with Ubuntu. Yeah, it's pretty nice. It's it's mostly just a vanilla GNOME experience, but yeah, they tend to be more on the bleeding edge than Ubuntu, so yeah. Um, in other news this week, SteamOS, uh, the latest SteamOS beta that was released, it has a couple improvements. It picks up Linux kernel 4.11.8 and it fixes a PlayStation 4 controller crash. Um, now this says DS controller crash. Do we know what that means? No. <laughs> Alright. Oh, Dual Shock. Alright, that's what DS oh, stands okay, for. Right? That would make sense. Okay, yeah, because yeah, the, the PlayStation 4, we've got a couple of non gamers here. The PlayStation 4 <laughs> controller is called the Dual Shock controller because of the um, rumble machines inside of it, uh, sensors or whatever. So, yeah, um, SteamOS Beta used to have a problem with the DualShock controller where it would crash sometimes and now the latest beta fixes that issue uh, it looks like the fix was actually in Linux kernel 4.11.8 so even if you're using like Ubuntu as soon as you get an update to your kernel to 4.11.8 then you won't have this PS4 controller crash either because the uh, fix was actually upstream but yeah if you're using SteamOS, SteamOS is based on Debian and it's just made to be kind of pre-installed on Steam machines you can install it yourself if you want to on your own Steam box. But yeah, it also comes with, if we look at the SteamOS website, the update, it was 2.119 was the SteamOS beta version. And yeah, it's got some updates to some firmware. It's got an update to Apache 2. Um, not sure why they ship a web server with SteamOS, but they do, and it has been updated. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, I have not used Steam OS myself, although I do use Steam on Linux fairly often. I haven't used Steam OS, but uh, yeah, any thoughts about this one? Um, I mean, that's good they fixed, but I more use 
I do when I game. I play. I have a um, Xbox 360 controller that I use, so would have been affected a whole lot by that. Right. Yeah. Always found the PlayStation controllers a little ergonomic on my hands. But. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a uh, 360 controller as well. But yeah, uh, always good to have additional hardware support because some people just like having two joysticks yeah. right next to each other for whatever reason. <laughs> uh, our next story, we're really flying through this week. Our next story is Visual Studio Code has been updated. Richard, you want to take this one? Yeah. So I have not actually used Visual Studio Code, but um, it'll actually look pretty interesting. So this is my first time kind of reading about it. And um, it's basically Microsoft released Visual Studio for um, Linux kind of in an open source way to support the kind of more open source community with it, which is kind of cool. I don't know. Didn't really give anything about C Sharp, so probably like one of the bigger Microsoft Plus with C Sharp, you can't really use that on Linux, I don't right. think, anyway. I think that Studio Code is actually a completely separate program from regular Visual Studio. I think you can get this on Windows yeah. and Mac OS as well, but yeah. But it's basically, I feel like, kind of their support for it more on the open source platform. And this update was pretty big because they kind of re implemented the integrated terminal, or so they will, they put selection back in it. I think that would be handy for some people, obviously, so you can finally copy and paste it again. I don't know if that included up arrow support or if that was always in there, because the article doesn't really go into a whole lot of detail, and I haven't used it before. But also, they had a fair amount of other highlights. They had a new difference review pane, which I imagine that's pretty nice to have a better integrated one into the program to be able to see the difference between like two documents or when you're doing like merges and Git, you have issues, and you need to sort that out. And there was also improvements to Git, which I imagine is pretty big. I have a debug API. I'm assuming that's to debug your apps, which would be pretty cool, actually, if there's like an improved debug section for it. But overall, this actually kind of made me interested in maybe seeing if I should try this out and just yeah. see kind of what it supports in terms of programming languages and what benefits it kind of could offer over other um, like IDEs in general. Mm -hmm. Did you say this was open source? I believe it said it was open source when yes. I looked it up. It's open yeah, Microsoft code. has released an update to Visual Studio Code. It's an open source editor for Windows, Mac OS, and Linux. Cool. So that's cool. They do also support Windows and Mac OS as well. Mm -hmm. I'm grabbing this thing right now. I want to try it out live on stream. <laughs> Not that I'm going to be able to do much with it, but um, unless you want to read me code out loud to type. But, all right, keep. Yeah, I'll go check it out as well. Code. See, if I was on Arch, I would have been done installing this by now, but I had to download a dev file because I'm on Ubuntu. So yeah, it's so also they that. support intelligent code completion, which I think they're trying to compete with IntelliSense, which is yeah. IntelliSense is by IntelliJ, and that's a pretty like it's one of the most like powerful ones I think in terms of auto completion mm -hmm. and like prompting. Certainly when I used it, it was a huge upgrade over Eclipse, and yeah. like often it would guess the names of things or the methods I wanted to use and put them way at the top so that I could just like instantly get where I wanted to get. Yeah, Visual Studio is pretty. I, mean, well I swear sometimes I could probably write the code for you, but. <laughs> All right, uh, so here we got Visual Studio Code running, and I, it just opened up Firefox. I, d I don't know why it opened up Firefox. I don't know why it opened up Firefox. I don't know why it did that. Uh, it tried to open up a documentation page. Yep, it tried to open up a documentation page. I also don't know why our fade effect is broken in um, OBS. Yeah, it opened up a help page. So yeah, uh, here's Visual Studio Code. Be aware when you open it the first time, it's going to open up a help page in your default web browser. So be prepared for that. And then we've got an Electron app here. And we can see toggle developer tools. Like this is how you can tell it's an Electron app because um, you can get the Chromium developer tools. But yeah, um, let's see. Let's start a new new file. So 
Can I do HTML on this, or do I need to do... No, I think I need a big boy programming language. Um, which I don't know how to... Alright, well... Here's what it yeah, looks like I, when like, you start close. a file. If I just like, zoomed <laughs> in my camera. Yeah, we can... That's like this little window on the share screen, so it's kind of hard to see your screen, but... What's, um... If this was on your screen, you could actually probably type something, but... Yeah, um... Tools and languages. So install support for JavaScript, TypeScript. You can just download something from GitHub real quick and see. That's a good idea. It looks like Git is not installed in my system, according to this. <laughs> so what, should I just download a random file and open it up, do you think? Yeah, you could probably... It's a good thing. I don't know what's a project. I have some projects of mine, but they're all kind of like a big JavaScript project with dependencies and stuff. But we could see if it support our Java project. We could see if it supports like Maven. What? All right, how would I do that? Can you do um, git clone in this? Let me see. As soon as I install git, then probably. Okay. Let me install git. I should have it anyway. I should switch back to my desktop now as well. So here is Visual Studio Code once again. Um, here I'll go through what was happening when I was talking when I didn't have the screen on the screen. So we've got developer tools there, which you're not going to need because it's an Electron app. And it just crashed. Visual Studio Code just crashed. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna open it up again. It classifies itself as a text editor in my menu. So yeah, we can start a new file here. We can start typing. Um, all right. So it guy it kind of has basic autocompletion for HTML. Doesn't have like a quick. I can't find a quick option to clone like a repository, but okay. I wish there was like something built into it for doing that. Yeah, I imagine there is, and I'm just not able to find it quickly. But there's an interesting command palette um, that, like, is a drop down of things you can type to do different options. Do you know anything about the command palette in regular Visual Studio? No, because I actually used Visual Studio a while back, but then when I started switching to Linux, I just ended up sticking with like Eclipse, and then followed by like IntelliJ and some of their products. So I did it one time, used it, and I do believe I actually had it installed on my Windows computer. All right, I've just installed Git, so we are going to restart Visual Studio Code. Yeah, you could probably just get clone into a folder and see if you can open the folder in. All right, you want to give me a URL? Yeah, let me open up GitHub, go to my organization. Okay, there's a project manager that I have that has a pm.xml file, so we can see if we can clone that. <clears throat> Alright, I'm in my documents folder. I'll post it. Get clone. I'll post it in that. It's in the um, rabbit room. Got it. Oh, it parsed it, though. <laughs> it turned into a link, yeah. yeah. So we'll see if it can hopefully have Maven support and read a pm.xml file. I don't know if it actually does, so... Alright, so we're going to clone... Uh, so what is this exactly that I'm cloning right now? So it's like a project manager open source one I built. Basically, it allows you to um, like keep track of freelance jobs you're doing, or just keep track of like any sort of kind of jobs and income from it and time spent on it. I plan to like upgrade eventually with more features and want to add like reports that it could generate and stuff eventually. Cool. So we're going to open up the project manager folder and here we've got dot idea uh, res source. So here's main.java. Alright, cool. See if you can right click the um, pom.xml file and see if it'll recognize that real quick. If it'll understand uh, that that's Maven. I was, okay, I'll do that in a moment. The language support All for right. Java by Red Hat extension is 
is <laughs> so recommended for this file type. Um, I don't know if we don't have... I might not actually have Java installed. That might be what it's complaining about. All right, so um, what did you want me to click on? Right-click, yeah, POM.XML. That should be at the bottom. Right-click it? Yeah, I, I don't know. know. We'll see if it support. I wanted to see if it could support recognize any of the Maven project, but... I, I mean, I left-clicked it. It opened it up as an XML file. Uh, when I right-click it, it's got open to the side, open containing folder, open in terminal. Select for compare... That's about it. Oh, uh, okay. What would a Maven file do? What's Maven? So basically, Maven's a dependency management system. Okay. So if you use other people's libraries in your code, all you have to do is put a Maven file, and then, for example, an IDE can just that has Maven support can detect that and let it automatically build it for you. Okay. And basically, it's kind of a universal way of knowing how to build code without having to like have a specific file stating stating for that specific IDE how it builds it. Interesting. All right. Well, um, yeah, that's Visual Studio Code. We've got, we can open up, uh, yep, looks like it's got syntax highlighting and whatnot. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Public, static. So it'll sort of autocomplete some things. Cool. So I'm, I'm just like copying some things you've already got in here so I can see like the auto highlighting and completing and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, they're trying to compete with IntelliSense, so it should be pretty good. Yeah, it's auto-completing quite a bit. I don't know exactly what I'm doing here, but... <laughs> I wish I could see your screen. It's like I can see the screen shared, but it's a small window. Alright, uh, well, what I've just done is I added in themeutils.java, I added another public static void. Um, so I did an add vertical spacer instead of an add horizontal spacer and then I created a new rigid area as what I just did but <laughs> I don't know uh, yeah basically I made it so it uses Java swing for GUIs and I made like one class that allows you to have uh, same standard for all the methods that way I can eventually Im implement a theming system and it'll just depend on the theme set and like render a different one for each theme alright but swing is a Default library built into Java for creating GUIs. Oh, it's actually somewhat dated now, but okay. Huh. All right. Well, yeah. Any anything else you think I should uh, do with this before we close it? No, I think that probably covered most things. I mean, I know we did do an in-depth oh, thing, but neither of us had used so, it before, so I can install language support for Java Red Hat right here. I can click install within this program. And then maybe that will add more let's see. highlighting and being able to compile, hopefully. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. Couldn't start <laughs> language support for Java. Java runtime. Due to probably not having Java. <laughs> <laughs> that would be it. And now it's opening Firefox again. Okay. Uh. <laughs> it wants me to download open. It, it took you need me to, to the, change your default web browser. <laughs> yeah, it took me to the open. Well, I, I, it doesn't make any sense because it is my default web browser, but not during a show. I. Yeah, it did take me to the OpenJDK website, which is interesting. It didn't take me to Java.com or Oracle's website. Um, I wonder if that was like the Red Hat tool that was doing that, or whether it was Visual Studio or Visual Code, Visual Studio Code. Probably, yeah, Red Hat. That might have something to do with that because Red Hat is super strict about their um, software licensing and whatnot. 
as you can tell by the fact that Fedora only has free and open source software in their repos. So yeah. Um, so there's Visual Studio Code. If it looks interesting, feel free to check it out of your own accord. Anyone who happens to be watching. And leave us your comments about this. If this is helpful to you, if you like this program, let us know in the comments down below. So uh, with that, we'll go to our next story. What's our next story? Um, We've got uh, next generation right. of Caden Live is now available for testing. Um, so Caden Live is currently at version 16.04 is what's out right now. They've been working on 16.07 was like the development version. But um, a while back, Caden Live had a fundraiser for refactoring. And this was sort of around the same time that KDE's entire port from QT4 to QT5 was happening. Um, so it, some of the stuff kind of got mixed in with that. But in terms of the actual just program refactoring, there is a next generation version of Caden Live available for testing. You can actually test it via app image right now, which is awesome. Uh, do you know about app images? Um, I feel like I've heard of them, but they are it's another kind of system, like an alternative to using a package manager. Sort of, yeah. Um, it's yeah, it is, and like I like snaps or flat packs, I would call an alternative package manager. Um, but this really is an alternative to a package manager, like you said. With an app image, it's one file that contains the entire program, just like a DMG file on macOS. So um, we are going. Does it to also like save the settings in there? Like, can it change itself? That would be pretty cool. Yes. For like, I believe it does. For portability. Yeah. It, then you could like, copy it to portable. a flash drive and move around. Yeah, they're definitely portable. Um, so I'm actually going to download this right now, and this is how easy. Now, some people don't like app images for whatever reason, because there's not like an app image management program thing, even though there are some, but there's not like an official one. Like with Snaps, you install Snap. With Flatpaks, you install Flatpak. There's not like an app image program you have to install. So is it built, like where's the support for it built into the OS then? Or? Uh, no, that's the thing. App images can run on any Linux system. Unlike Snaps and Flatpaks, you have to install a dependency. App image is my favorite out of all the universal installers, because uh, this is when you have an app image, you just have to chmod it to make it executable, which I'm going to do right now, and then you just run it, and then um, any Linux system can run an app image after you set it. So it's built into the kernel itself, the support for them essentially. Uh, yeah, because like the app image itself, quote unquote app image, it's just a container that contains like all of the files that the program requires, and it hooks into your system, and basically instead of like installing to slash user slash bin all of the files that you would normally need, they just keep them in the app image file. Um, so yeah, we're going to... Yeah, that seems like really cool for the portability aspect at least, certainly. Yeah. The idea that your settings would then stay the same no matter where you move your whatever program you're using, whether it's an IDE or something. That's kind of the first thing that comes to my mind because that's kind of like something you... something at least I would personally use that I want my settings to always be very specific. Yeah, so we've got, uh, I just chmodded it to make it executable, and now I'm going to run the refactored Caden Live. We're opening up right now, and as you can see, it just runs. All right, Caden Live needs to be... Let's hope it doesn't open Firefox. <laughs> Let's hope it doesn't open Firefox. Caden Live needs to be restarted to apply a color theme change. Restart now, I'll click continue, and here we go. Here is the new Caden Live. Very exciting. It's a black screen right now. <laughs> um, I've got the it was terminal. It's slightly here. translucent on mine, but. Uh, well, that was because I was dragging it, I think. 
Um, yeah. Shader program yeah. is not linked. The Jitsi is like updating every half a second, so it's kind of an interesting view. Yeah. Yeah. So it says in the title bar, Untitled HD 1080p 29.97 FPS. So it's definitely running off the app image, because like, I can open up my actual installed Kaden Live right now. And uh, we can actually, different settings. We can have these side by side. All right. Well, this one says twenty nine nine seven actually also, <laughs> but um, which is interesting. In it's because I just changed. I just reinstalled my whole OS, so not all of my settings are everywhere. Uh, I'm actually going to change that in my personal one right now to where thirty is. I make all my things in thirty FPS or sixty, but yeah. I, don't I feel like 29.97 is like an odd standard back from TV. Yeah, kind of so it's from film, yeah. Um, okay, so this is still... I think this is still trying to... Alright, I'm clicking, and it's making more things happen in the terminal. Oh, we've got a slider. Okay, so Canon Live is actually open right now. You see this little slider here? Yes. That is the no, volume slider. That's the only slider. thing I see. It's just a <laughs> in my working Canon Live... This is what that is. This is the volume slider for the uh, your preview volume. So I, I was able to randomly click until I found that slider over here. But for whatever reason, the app image... I'm going to try running it again. Yeah, not sure why we're just getting a black. Could not create shader program. Hmm. Interesting. Is there another dependency you're missing? Like no. Well, no, because all the dependencies in an app image are supposed to be within the app image. So this would be... Well, something's obviously wrong, but this <laughs> would be uh, the new Caden Live. You know, this is why this refactored version isn't the stable version right now. Because um, obviously my system is working fine because I can have my regular Caden Live open. But, hmm, I'm just going to... Doesn't that make them really large files, though, if all the dependencies are inside of them? Uh, yeah, I mean, this one was, like, between 100 and 200 megabytes, I think. But, I mean, obviously... Well, that's not that big if you consider the libraries have to be included in it. Yeah, and yeah, but when I say, like, all the dependencies are included, I don't know how deep that goes, but... Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe one, a couple of them I mean, it doesn't same. include the Linux kernel, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> Well, if you, if you don't have a Linux kernel, you're going to have other serious problems. Yeah, you're going to have a problem downloading the app image. Um, Alright, might be an NVIDIA problem, maybe, according to Google. Are you using the proprietary NVIDIA drivers yeah. or like the open source ones? I, I am using the proprietary ones, which causes okay. problems with KDE sometimes. But See, if I use the open source ones, it doesn't have enough power to drive a 4K monitor. It's too slow for me to use my mouse with the open source driver. Oh, wow. Um, so that's why I use a proprietary Obviously, they need to up their game on the open source ones yeah, to catch up to 4K. a little bit. Um, Although it's really not that common 4K right now. Like, maybe people who are heavy yeah, content creators and stuff. I've got a GTX 1080, though, and I feel like I should yeah. be able to push a 4K monitor, <laughs> yeah. um, which I can with the proprietary driver. All right, so I've got... I can get little icons, so I'm moving things around. I just can't see what I'm doing in Caden Live. <laughs> um, this is extremely underwhelming um, but yeah basically next for generation of Caden Live they have refactored it which it says in the article here refactoring means actually Richard why don't you tell us what refactoring is you're the developer here I'm pretty sure it's like where you rearrange the code and packages and rename things right uh, yeah so restructuring existing Eclipse, computer that's what it is okay yeah restructuring existing computer code without changing its external behavior so basically um, 
I don't know if I had an incorrect understanding. I thought that it basically meant they were rewriting parts of the program to be cleaner code. Uh, so like the program works fine, but then they're making it so that the code is easier to maintain and better. Um, yeah, I mean that certainly would make a lot of sense, and yeah. that would definitely be helpful if it's an open source thing. You want you want us not very steep learning curve. You want people to be able to come in and see your project and figure out where everything is pretty quick, so they can make a commit or something or change or add a feature if you're trying to like make a project that has a lot of people contributing to it in an open source environment. Yeah. So yeah, they've been working on the refactoring for a while. I'm just going to go to Caden Live's website right now and see if they've got an updated, because they say they're hoping to provide nightly app images um, for the unstable. But yeah, we'll see app image. So here's the stable app image that, that you can download right now from their website. Um, Do they provide any alternative ways of downloading it? Uh, under Snap. That might be more likely to work. They... Oh, of the well, they they provide plenty of ways to get the stable version. The unstable version, no. So, oh yeah, because uh, like the stable version, they've got a an experimental snap package, flat pack. They just say, oh no, they say we don't provide any flat packs yet. The community is invited to help, and then of course you can get like your packages as well, for the stable version. But yeah, uh, we're not gonna. This is just turning into a bunch of us trying to get things working and. Uh, Visual Studio and Canon Live and whatnot, so we're gonna move on from that. Um, by the way, we haven't checked the chat room in freaking forever. Nobody's talking to us, are they? Um, yeah, I haven't checked it actually. To be fair, <laughs> either. So we're horrible streamers here. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> this is why I need like Mark or Stephanie, one of the people who. All right, nobody's talking to us. All right, we're good. It's all yeah. right. Um, so yeah, that is Canon Live. Check it out. Uh, refactoring version coming soon. Next story. Um, have you read through this one yet? Um, briefly, but I didn't quite understand everything that was entailed in this. Okay. I haven't like paid a whole lot of attention to the Free Software Foundation or certain things. Right. Since I'm more like in Linux, just with the development kind yeah. of aspect, I feel like there's a lot of parts of the deeper community that I do not understand fully or kind of have not been enlightened in. Hmm. Uh, so the Free Software Foundation has certified 15 new devices as respects, you know, they, they call it RYF certified, respects your freedom. Um, so yeah, they are mostly, uh, nope, they're all from a company called Technoethical. And they, every single time, half, well, about every other time in this article, they say the word Technoethical, they followed up by formerly Technoetic. So this company has recently changed their company name, and they want to make sure you know they changed their company name. But um, yeah, Technoethical makes some laptops that respect your freedom 100%. You can run the entire thing uh, from BIOS to your operating system down to the user applications, and everything can be not only open source, but also Libre and freedom respecting. Um, now, I was really excited when I read the headline, you know, 15 new devices freedom respecting amazing because like my laptop I've got proprietary drivers on here that's not freedom respecting but then these are just completely you can run the whole thing uh, with free drivers and free software however I mean that's cool even the BIOS is like yeah really cool that's because usually you don't have pretty much every BIOS is usually proprietary I imagine yeah it takes it takes a lot of work to get newer laptops working with core boot and whatnot like you know like the free BIOS options out there here's the kicker though these quote-unquote new laptops are not new laptops. They are oh. really old ThinkPads 
that everyone who follows, if you've ever researched, like, oh, I want a completely free laptop, that's one of the most common things is buy an old ThinkPad. So then this company's just yeah. taking old ThinkPads. I it, it immediately gave it away because the first one in the list is the TET-X200. And I was like, X200? That's the name of that really popular ThinkPad. So, yeah, if you look at the the picture of it, you can immediately tell, you know, that... <laughs> yeah. That's an old ThinkPad. It's uh, barely widescreen, and it's got the old keyboard on it, the you know pre-chiclet keyboard back from when IBM actually owned the ThinkPad line. Uh, that's how old wow. these things are. Yeah, but um, it's got the Technoethic yeah, brand. Yeah, it has the Technoethic branding on it. Um, actually, it's the old one too. It doesn't say the. Um... Yeah. Oh yeah, it's not Technoethical. <laughs> it's just Technoethic. That's probably why they say uh, previously known as every single time. So this is a refurbished 12.1 inch laptop um i mean it comes pre-installed with libre boot but you know if you want to actually it comes with triscoll is the uh distro that it comes with and yeah 478 euros is that we, we have upgraded the memory to the maximum capacity of eight gigabytes <laughs> and i really i i i'm kind of sad to laugh at this sort of thing because like free software foundation has my respect on an ideological standpoint whereas a lot of people just don't give a crap about what they're doing at all but it really this is a kind of a bad thing because it it really pushes forward the notion a lot of people who don't understand the free software enthusiasts say oh you know if you want to use free and open software just buy a 15 year old laptop um if you're if you're someone who cares about software freedom, you shouldn't be buying new laptops. And as someone, you know, I've got a laptop that is pretty much top of the line here, and but I would like it if it all ran on free and open software. It doesn't, but I wish it did. But I wish that there would be, you know, if Technoethical, uh, techno I almost said the old name again, if they made laptops like my current one, then I might buy from them because I want updated components and I want free software it's not an either or thing um, yeah but yeah we've got the some of the other models available there's the uh, t500 and they're all just old thinkpads this one is more widescreen it's 15.4 inch it's like proper widescreen um, still clearly the old thinkpad pre Lenovo um, I mean they also apparently have a Bluetooth USB adapter though well, yeah. Um, so a couple of these things were not... Um, a couple of the devices that were certified as RYF, they are not laptops, but they're actually, like, adapters. So here's a Nano Bluetooth 4.0 USB adapter for GNU slash Linux Libre. Um, so if you <laughs> want to use Bluetooth, but you don't want to compromise your freedom while doing it, you can grab this thing and it's a you won't have to worry about proprietary drivers and you know that's is actually a now do they have any Wi-Fi adapters or just Bluetooth? unfortunately it didn't look like it in the article but. oh well they they have two internal Wi-Fi devices so uh, okay. you can get this thing pop so like in. you want you gonna put in a desktop or uh, I I think they're for laptops I guess the ThinkPad's pretty easy to take apart right. <laughs> I haven't yeah, had one, but I thought they were are, designed yeah. for that. And even, it's a kind of a common, well, maybe not super common, but yeah, this is mini PCIe um, is this one. So yeah, I've seen that in laptops, like for existing Wi-Fi cards that they come with. But this kind of thing is super helpful because 
at this point, like if I take any old laptop and I plug in Ubuntu USB into it, it's going to have Wi-Fi. Um, when I started using Linux, though, that wasn't the case. I used to have to plug my laptop into Ethernet every time I reinstalled to install the Wi-Fi driver from online because for years and years, Linux didn't have great Wi-Fi support out of the box. So then if you got one of these things, these free and open Wi-Fi adapters, then you could plug this in and you're pretty much guaranteed to have Wi-Fi support on any distro without installing any additional packages. Of course, these days, now that Ubuntu and everything are including more more uh, proprietary drivers, it's not as relevant. But yeah, if you, this, uh, the, when I saw the Bluetooth adapter, I immediately thought, oh, what if they did this for Wi-Fi? And they do. If you want to have a laptop with Wi-Fi and you don't want to have to worry about driver support for that, um, I mean, it's nice when you've got, not only is it freedom respecting, but when you've got a free and open driver, it's going to be pre-installed in like Fedora, whereas proprietary things are not pre-installed in Fedora, they're not pre-installed in Debian, so that's more effort you have to go through every time you reinstall your distro. So even if you don't care about free and open software, that's still a practical benefit you can get. Yeah, I remember there was a thing, when I first tried Linux, it was like, maybe like 2011, and I had like an old Windows laptop, and they had an installer that would actually set up the partition for you and help you guide through the process, so you didn't have to actually know how to do that, because the time I didn't. And um, I remember it ran, but I could never get Wi-Fi to work on it at all. Yep. So yeah. it became kind of, I had to tie it to Ethernet, and so it became somewhat difficult to really get into Linux at that point for me, since it was on a laptop, it kind of feed the purpose. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you're looking for really old tech, uh, if you're looking for a, I mean, honestly, if you know, $568 for a T400 isn't that great of a deal, but it's also not horrible if the laptops are in okay condition, um, because ThinkPads last forever. So if you're looking for a side machine or uh, something to take on the go, you know, I wouldn't want to use that for my main machine, or I wouldn't want to use that for editing even these days. But yeah, if you're looking for, if you're the kind of person looking for a ThinkPad, but you want to try out a system that's completely freedom respecting, you can check out Techno Ethical, and they have the Free Software Foundation's blessing. And our last story for this week, uh, you want to take this one? All right. So let me actually open it. I mean, there's not a whole lot to have to open it and talk about. But um, basically, this is pretty normal, but Ubuntu has now announced that their 16.10 Yakety Yak, which is their code name, um, there, which was released nine months ago, is going to reach end of support cycle. So I feel like for the most part, this should just be a reminder of people to upgrade and stay with the latest one so that you're actually getting security updates for your operating system. I'm kind of, I mean, do as I say, not as I do, because at this point, my <laughs> distro is kind of stuck on 15.10 and is like, let upgrade. Yeah, it won't upgrade How and it won't let me download new programs. You told me um, that it was like show. it was Ubuntu Mate I was using. What version? And for some reason, what I don't know. It was. Was it? It won't let me. In, it won't let me upgrade the whole OS anymore. So. What happens when you try and do like air. apt dist update update or whatever distro upgrade? What what's the? I can't remember. It just said some odd error. Do it right now. And then oh, people no, were like, right now. "I'm not. Yeah, I'm not on it." But then some people were talking about it online, and it appeared the best solution after like looking some up stuff up and seeing some posts is probably just to copy all my files, back it up, and reformat yeah. and install a new one. I mean, with Linux, um, honestly, I've never been someone who just updates the entire distro version. If a new version of my distro comes out, I'm going to do a clean install anyway, personally. That's why I loved like Arch, because I never had to clean install Arch, because Arch never has 
distro upgrades. You just update all your packages. Um, right now, I have switched to KDE Neon temporarily, and so I'm on an Ubuntu 16.04 base. So next year, when 18.04 comes out and KDE Neon refactors or rebases for that, then I'm going to have to do a clean install because that's going to be upgrading all my packages two years worth, um, which is, you know, you're going to run into problems when you're updating all of the software on your computer at the same time, several years, or even several months, in the case of regular Ubuntu, all at the same time. Um, yeah, so that's why I like rolling releases, but if you're on Ubuntu 16.10, the end of life officially is Thursday, July 20th, which is yes. this upcoming week. So if you're on this thing, why haven't you upgraded to 17 out of 4? Why haven't you upgraded to 17... Yeah. I guess 17 out of 4 is the most recent version. But yeah, do that. And um, yeah. Or you can downgrade to 16 out of 4, and that's still supported until next year. So yeah, you got two ways to go, even though there's not an official downgrade option. But um, So which one's their LTS? That is 16.04. Is the latest. Oh, okay. It's the even.04s are the LTSs. Yeah, I thought that was, but isn't it five years support? or? Yeah, they're five years support, okay. but they have one every four years. So there's some oh, okay. overlap for you in that case as well. So yeah. Poor guys who have to manage all the security upgrades for all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Must be a busy job. So that's all of our uh, all of our stories for this week. I like that there's just these, like, here's what Ubuntu is at the bottom of the Ubuntu mailing list um that's all of our stories for this week and in a moment here we may or may not have a feature it's been a couple weeks since you did it has been right? yeah i so. we had a no show and then rtx so all right before our feature segment this week i want to take a moment to tell you all about the nerd club hey richard have you heard about the nerd club um a little <laughs> like right. me uh, the uh the nerd club is a way that people can give back to nerd on the street if they enjoy our content so if you the people watching this like this show or if you like any of the other videos we make if these videos are helpful to you you can head on over to nerdclub.nots.co it'll bring you to our nerd club sign up page right here and yeah you can sign up for the nerd club you get some cool perks with it you can see the live stream dvr if you're part of the nerd club you can see the complete uncut stream recordings of all the streams that we do that's an exclusive for our nerd club members uh, you can access a members only area of our website so you can talk to other nerd club members you get a special discord role if you're into discord roles on our discord server uh, the banner ads on our website go away and hey we might occasionally send you merchandise i've got some leftover displays dvds from rtx i think i might send a couple of those out to some nerd club members so if you want in on that join the nerd club like i said nerdclub.nots.co there are a couple different ways to join. You may be asking for all of those perks that you get. Uh, wh how much is that going to cost me, Jacob? Well, I'll tell you, it only costs $3 per month. If you want to join the Nerd Club, you can join on Patreon. There's a link to it, like I said, over at nerdclub.nots.co. And, uh, yeah, you can give us more on Patreon if you want, but $3 per month is just the minimum that we ask if you want all of those perks I just listed off. Uh, we have some goals that we're working up to here. When we reach $100 a month, which we're a quarter of the way there now, when we reach $100, we're going to have ad-free videos on our website. None of the videos on our website will have ads anymore. Um, so that'll be really nice for everyone once we reach that. But yeah, we're up to uh, $26 per month on Patreon. You can help us improve that, knock that up a little bit more over at nerdclub.nots.co. You can also join prepaid. Let's say you're not wanting to make a long-term commitment, but you want to join the Nerd Club for like, six months or one year those are the two options on our website hey how convenient is that 
you can join. It's just one-time payments. It's the same amount that you would be paying. It's $18 or $36. So it's no funny business. It's no like better deal here or there. It's just whatever is most convenient for you. And uh, yeah, it takes money to make videos and it takes time to make videos more than anything else. And uh, yeah, if you want to pay us for the time and effort and the equipment that we use to make these, nerdclub.nots.co and help us out a bit. Thanks everyone. A special thank you to everyone in the Nerd Club right now. That went pretty well. How long have we been going? Oh, we've been going for like an hour. So. Yeah. We managed to use Caden Live to get some <laughs> Caden Live in the Visual Studio code to get some extra time out of yeah. it. Yeah. Otherwise, it would have been a pretty short episode. I don't know why that wasn't working. So, for a feature, we didn't have anything planned. If you want to talk about Linode, since you just switched, I, I did a video a little while back on switching one of my stuff from DigitalOcean to Linode. We can talk about that. Or, alternatively, if you want to talk about it, you're yeah. not in Linux, so it'd be kind of difficult for you to demonstrate your Linux workflow right now. Docker would be cool to talk about, though, too. Have you heard of Docker? Yeah, I heard of it. I don't understand it. Yeah, so I guess I can explain this. This is more from a programming perspective, so it might be interesting. Then. But um, have you heard of Heroku? No. So basically, you can go to Heroku.com, but there. So the idea is that it basically, containerizes it your up. apps. Okay. And allows you when you deploy code, it can, it runs in its own isolated container, so that's much more secure. But also, it just makes it so you can actually do a Git push and deploy your code, and it's just instantly running then on the production kind of server, which is a really cool system. Unfortunately, they have a pretty high pricing. Like they've now, they originally were really commonly used because the free plan would run twenty four seven and had enough that people could run their kind of hobby projects on the free plan. Mm -hmm. But they changed it so now your free plan can only run like. 20 hours a day and it sleeps after 30 minutes of inactivity. So basically, in order to do any hobby project, you had to get the hobby plan, which was $7, assuming you wanted something that people run 24-7. Yeah. And um, so that like upped the cost for a lot of people, which was kind of annoying, especially for a lot of people who had like these free projects and they'd have like two or three side sites that are just small, that they're just kind of a small thing, and now they have to pay like $21 if they have three sites. Yeah. So this allowed them basically... Docu is kind of the idea of combining Docker's containerization with kind of the um, Heroku's concept of supporting Git pushing and deploying just right from Git. So it's a free and open source project, and basically you can install it. And then it, the cool thing is it has a bootstrapper that just installs all the dependencies for you automatically, including Docker itself. So it can be installed on a fresh virtual, like private server. And um, that's what I recently did was I installed it to a, like, a fresh virtual Linode private server for my site and then um, was able to, I had to set up the apps, like one for the database and one for the um, site and then connect them, which was a little bit of a pain because you have to allow them to be able to communicate with each other since otherwise they're kind of in this isolated sandbox where they can't communicate with each other because that's the whole security aspect of it. And um, once I was able to do that though, it's really cool because they just run in a container. You can give them more processes if they need extra like processing power. And um, you can just like push your code right from Git. You just make a commit and then you can push to that repository. It'll build it for you using custom build packs that people develop for different languages. And um, then just starts up the server and runs it. So it's a basically allows you to do the equivalent of Heroku but to host it on your own VPS and so then you could have, instead of having three for 21, you could have three running on one $10 like VPS. Yeah. And so it's a much cheaper pricing, but you're also managing it yourself. So you really know what you're doing and you can kind of get in the nitty gritty details and change it if you want. 
And also, just I don't think Heroku was really doing any open source stuff. They were allowing people to build, make custom build packs for Heroku, but that was like basically it. So yeah. this also just supports the kind of more open source community. And I think Heroku was based on Docker anyway, so they were kind of taking open source projects and <laughs> monetizing it anyway. So it's a cool way to get around that. So from your point of view as a developer, Docker lets you. So if you didn't have Docker, you would have to build the project yourself and put it on the server and start the server yourself and docker automates those things yeah also it just like i don't use i use php unfortunately i want to eventually switch to another language but php is one you don't have to build since the script right but you would still have to obviously push all the files together it allows you just to have one sort of version control in the other system that just manages that just receives all the files does everything you can then use Composer, which is a dependency management system for PHP yeah. that allows you then to manage all those. And it's just it just also sets things up for you. For example, I was struggling to be able to configure the MySQL database to have the right settings to not use too much memory and to balance the memory between the different the different um, applications essentially running on the same server. Mm -hmm. And this way you can kind of easily like Docker will use build packs that people make to manage that stuff for you or plugins and the people who develop the plugins usually often know the software well enough that it configures it right out of the box to work in the perfect way and if it doesn't then you can always just quickly execute a command on the um, VPS and kind of change the settings of that particular app to adjust it hmm. but yeah also the just Heroku pricing scaling past hobby was really high like it's yeah. $25 per additional dyno, which is basically an extra process running. Right. And I mean, these dynos only have like one gig of RAM. So the pricing is like pretty high. I, I understand if someone's like running a site that's making a lot of money, they might want to just not have to do the management themselves so they can just focus on developing. And that's a great kind of system. But if you are making a site that's more as a hobby, this is a great alternative to it, kind of going the Docker route. So what's it look like um, to set docker up so it sets up docker which is cool so they have the bootstrap and it sets what up is, docker for what, you docker how do you spell that d-o-k-k-u it's like heroku oh like the k-u on the I end it's like it. docker and heroku together yeah smart right. yeah docker power but it's, you can just search github yeah i think yeah so on github and they have documentation there as well. Okay, so what's uh, so what's the difference between using Docker and just using Docker, like? Basically, um, Docker adds the features of build packs, so it okay. allows you to push your code and it'll just configure everything for you and set stuff oh. up. Whereas otherwise, with Docker, you have to do a lot of stuff manually. Um, Docker doesn't support any sort of Git version control system at all, so you can't push code to Docker. Like you, you would have to manually copy the files into the container, which is somewhat like somewhat troublesome. Every time you make an update, you're gonna have to zip your files up, put them on the VPS, unzip them up, put them in the container each time, yeah. and then you're gonna have to take the container down. This can do it just as an automatic script for you in like 10 seconds as soon as you push. So you okay. have minimal downtime when updating as well. And it just makes it much more convenient to do so. And you can also run Docker locally so that you can test a Docker app on your own development machine, obviously, run the same one, and then push to the production environment all without ever having to change anything in your code. All right. So what's it look like to set Docker up again? Like from scratch? Um, you run a shell file that they download, this bootstrap file, I think. Okay. Let me see if I can find the full documentation. But Bootstrap.sh? Docs. Is that it? Yeah. 
you would just do a wget on the um, I can send the documentation here putting in the rabbit room but so that has that basically you just you can use a wget to get the bootstrap.sh file obviously they have then you just have to set up what version you're using with a pseudo um, thing and then you just run the bootstrap.sh and it's designed to be run on a clean VPS. I assume you can run it on a regular computer as well. I have not tried that yet, though. But I assume as long as you don't have Docker and certain things already, it probably shouldn't have an issue because it'll install the dependencies for you. I see. It's so they were saying good. they were having certain issues with certain VPSs, but Linode is not one of them. So okay, it worked fine with both Linode and DigitalOcean. So is this so? Docker is seems like it's sort of built specifically for web applications. Um, yeah, basically, because that's what Heroku was designed for, okay. is it's built specifically for deploying web apps. Yeah. Now, obviously, it doesn't have to necessarily be PHP. Obviously, right. it can be a Node.js yeah. app or I lots of other web apps. It installs Nginx. Ruby. Yeah. And it probably also installs Apache, because I know the... Um, I was actually using the Heroku build pack instead of their build pack. Okay. Because the Heroku build pack had Apache and mine had a .ht access file. Okay, I yeah, I was going to bother rewriting for Nginx. Right, yeah, personally, I always use Apache right, just because that's what I'm used to for most things. Um, but yeah, Nginx, like you, you kind of use one or the other. Um, our restreaming server right now is running on Nginx, so I didn't know if you could use this with like other applications other than just websites, because Nginx can do a lot other than websites. If someone builds a build pack for it, you can probably. So it would be interesting to see kind of support for that. And then now that you have this set up already, like, are you using this kind of thing for Minecraft Media at this point? Yes, it's Minecraft Media runs fully on it. I haven't moved my other site, The Sims Media, yet to it, but I plan to because then I want to shut down my DigitalOcean server. And um, what's cool is like it'll just kind of it allocates the memory and the processing power to each app and kind of automatically manages which ones need more. That's a Docker feature. That's kind of just docu is being built on top of, but um, that's cool because eventually as I add more sites, I can then just kind of add all I have to do is add a new app in the VPS docu settings and then push right to it and then it'll deploy. And now they do have like a domains plugin so you can change it to make sure that each app reads from a different domain and then all you have to do is forward each domain to the IP address of your um, virtual private server. Okay, so now that you've got it set up, what's it look like? I was trying to load up your website here to show as a visual. Um, I mistyped it once, and now every time I go to minecraftmedia.com, it tries to redirect me to .net, which is wrong, so it doesn't work, but I don't know why it's redirecting. But what's... Oh, no, it's it's supposed to now. Minecraftmedia.net right Oh, well, then how come it. I can't get to it? It should direct you to .net instead of .com. That's okay. just I wanted to stick with one official domain, but I wanted to have other entry points. Right. Is minecraftmedia.net up right now? It should be. Site so can't be reached, but it might be me. Yeah, it's working on my computer. Oh, is it? All right. Uh, I don't know if minecraftmedia.com is not working. Let me see. Well, I went. Now it's. I'm going to .net now. Yeah, .net should. .NET's the one that's the official one. All I right, also have well, it redirect to HTTPS so that it doesn't use the yeah. HTTP version. Right. Okay, then the HTTP version works. HTTPS didn't for me. And by the way, when are you going to approve Displaced Episode 1? Submitted that a couple of days oh. ago. Anyway, no, that was what I was going to oh, ask. I didn't get an email for it. So I'm, I'm on here now. So when you, let's say you want to make an update to MinecraftMedia.net and you change something in the code and then you, so you've just made a change locally because I assume you're developing it locally 
if what I'm hearing mm-hmm. sounds correct, what do you have to do to go from you just made a change of the code to pushing it live with Daku? So basically, it's that's what's so cool about it is you can you know how you would say have Git push and then the remote repository. I don't know. Often, oh yeah. <laughs> well, with Git, you would um often usually just do is git push and the default one is to remote and usually that's like github or bitbucket or something right. with this you can obviously set up multiple remotes okay. or you could have and so you can just set up remote for docu and you can add a remote name docu and you just specify like the user at your site the default user for docu and everything and you can then push to that okay and it just as soon as it pushes to it it really like detects it on the other end as long as you have the right build pack configured for the app on your VPS, it just begins taking the code it just received, using it running through the build pack. The build pack then responds in your terminal with everything it's doing, and then when it like finally is up, it'll tell you, okay, app is now live at whatever. I mean, if you're running it locally, it'll say like app is live at localhost and random port right. generated. Yeah. If you're deploying it to a server that has some, it's called Docu Domains, the plugin that they have. You can set up Docu the Docu Domains plugin. And um, then you can just say, okay, this app should use minecraftmedia.net, this app should use the simsmedia.com, like, yeah. or then and apps can have multiple entry point domains as well. So then it will actually just tell you it's set up at that domain so you can check it out. So to push it, I have not actually. How many commands is that? One. <laughs> okay. It just, it just prints all the feedback cool. to you. And is that a docu command? Or, like, what do you type specifically? So you specifically type git push docu master if you're okay, in the master Okay, so you set it up stuff. through docu, but then it's you're still using git. Yeah. Okay. And it dete- it has a git server it runs on the other end. I don't know exactly what a git, I don't know what you call that, but <laughs> there's a git repository on the other end, and it detects when changes are made to that repository. And as soon as a change is made to that repository, it recompiles it okay. and then sends you the information back. Well, it doesn't recompile, it says PHP, but it right. rebuilds it using the build pack and sets up like a new Apache instance and replaces the previous one. All right. And by the way, I just approved your submission. Uh, so. Sweet. All right, everyone, you can watch Displaced episode one. There's about uh, like 45 more that I'll post. But episode one <laughs> of Displaced is on uh, minecraftpedia.net. This is a website that Richard made. Um, and yeah, it's really cool. So you made the whole um, this whole website from scratch, like even all the like the content management system portions you made from scratch, right? Yes. It took like two years and yeah. initially I developed it only for Minecraft and um, then so that took me about a year to get better but eventually after a year of that I spent some time and just completely programmed it as a framework okay. that I could then expand and make it basically for I can create it for any other site I want to or any other game and all I have to do is update and make a new theme for that yeah, particular so like front end UI. Yeah. Now here's a question. Let's say that you were to update MinecraftMedia.net with a new feature right now. Actually, here's a like here's another example. I don't know if you got the forum post that I posted, but uh, right now on MinecraftMedia.net, if I try to post a Steam URL with HTTPS in the URL, it doesn't accept it. So let's say that you like <laughs> made it so that it accepted those right now. So that's you're making a change to Minecraft Media. You push that. Would it automatically also push that to Sims Media, the way you have it set up right now? Not yet. I would have to copy the base framework. The cool thing okay. is I have the framework is stored in like core and pages, and then the only other things that aren't part of the core, well, they're all part of the framework, but the only other things that are different for each site is the config folder and the themes folder. So I know that when I just want to, if I update the framework on one site, all I have to do is just copy the core and pages to everything else, and the only 
and basically, and I put the um, config file in one folder because I know then I can really actually just do control A and then deselect config and deselect yeah. themes and know that I'll only update everything else rather than cool. like say accidentally screw up the theme on another site. Yeah. So you've basically, I mean, yeah, you not basically, you have made your own content management system. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right. Well, we had a good uh, conversation about Docu there. That's sort of Linux. How is that? Uh, how is Linux connected to Docu? Like, can you run that on Windows at all, or is that? I think you can, maybe with Sigwin, but I'm pretty sure you. I don't know. It doesn't talk about it at all, yeah, so I'm pretty no, sure they don't want you doing it or don't really officially support it. Yeah. So. I'm wondering why that is. I don't think Docker runs on Windows much, though. I don't know. Right, yeah. yeah. So if Docker it's website. kind of, I mean, Docker is basically the core of it. Yeah. If Docker doesn't support it, they can't really do much. Mm. Does Docker run on Windows? Let's Google that. <laughs> okay, it does have a, a Docker for a Docker for Windows tutorial. So. Hmm. But like for the most part, people run VPSs and stuff. Yeah. They're usually stuck with Linux. So I imagine it's not a huge community that affects. I mean, plus it's way cheaper to get a Windows VPS or way cheaper to get a Linux VPS than a Windows. Yeah, one. of course. Yeah. This Windows Server is so much more. Mm -hmm. So you've got uh, Linux right now that you use for developing, and then, um, but you've got a Windows hard drive as well. What do you use the Windows hard drive for? Mostly for games, pretty much right now. Okay. And I've mostly filled it up actually. I had a one terabyte hard drive yeah. and it's almost full. It's the popular answer. So like, if you're just web browsing, is there one you'll pick over the other Linux or Windows? It just depends on which one I'm on. Usually I'm too lazy to restart, so if I just All need right. to check the web, then it'll yeah. be whatever I was last on rather than restarting to a new OS. Okay. Because Windows just takes a long time to restart into. Right. Like, I notice Linux is so much faster, but... Yeah. Do you know how many of your games run on Linux at all? I could check. It's probably a fair amount. I was more having graphics card driver issues with some of them. Ah. Uh, my graphics card is fairly old. It's a GTX 650. Okay. So... Well, I had a 650 Ti boost in my old desktop. It wasn't too bad, but yeah. Yeah. Um, like, I can run GTA 5 on medium settings at, like, 720p fine, so. Yeah. But, of course, GTA 5 I know GTA is GTA 5 for Linux, certainly for doesn't. Windows. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was like, I know that certainly doesn't support it. Right. There's a game I played at one time called Savage Lands, and I know that was on Linux, but it had some really weird graphical issues on mine for some reason. And I was using the proprietary drivers at the time, so. Like it had it like shadows all went really weird and you couldn't see anything and parts of the screen would go black and that's so that was interesting good. to attempt to play and I was like nah yeah. this isn't gonna work. All right, well, um, trying to think if there's any other we can use that conversation as our feature segment that was about like thirty twenty five thirty minutes. Um, so yeah, we can call it a week for this week and virtually I've got a list of cool well. I don't know how many of them were that cool, but I've got a list of some things me and Mark were planning on doing with Linux, so maybe we can take a look at the list and uh, see if we can keep the feature segment going. Eventually, this might just turn into a news show, so yeah, yeah. we don't have features to do every week, but like, yeah, we can we can come up with something for next episode. But for now, I think that's a pretty good episode. Are there people still? Are there people in the I stream? I don't know. In the official stream I chat, don't I'm think not so. saying anything, but I don't know. It could be people on Twitch that we don't see. Do you have like a control panel that shows everyone on every platform? Oh, do I? Um, <laughs> I do, kind of. You use the API. Stream, well. I used right. the Twitch API with PHP once to add it to my, like, oh. have an old site. If you can make us a control panel, Richard, that'd be <laughs> great. Uh, no, what I've got here, this is what I've got, is I've got a web page, an HTML page where I embedded 
all four <laughs> of the chat rooms just using the same code that I use to embed websites. That's why these are all 16 to 9. Um, I mean, embed videos in my websites. So yeah, I've just this is my development of a control panel right here. Um, um, Hitbox, Twitch. <clears throat> oh, it's not even called Hitbox anymore, and it's not called Beam anymore oh. either. Two of these have been updated to change their names. Since Hit you updated your panel. <laughs> Hitbo yeah, Hitbox is now Smashcast, Beam is now Mixer, and my control panel is outdated, but... All right, so yeah, that's our episode for this week. Richard, you said that you're might be available for the next couple episodes as well, at least. Yeah, probably definitely until like the end of August. All right, yeah. Although I'm getting my wisdom teeth out on the 31st, so oh, I don't know if that'll work, but that'll be a fun episode. Yeah, we might have to find a, a stand-in for that one. But yeah, um, great to have somebody else here who is uh, familiar with Linux, and yeah, we'll we'll keep an eye out for some more stories. We'll try and be a little more prepared next week. Me and Richard kind of yeah. didn't talk a whole lot before the stream this week, but. Um, now that we've got the same person doing it a couple weeks in a row, we can kind of build up a rhythm and, and have, know a little bit more about the stories we're talking about for the next couple episodes. But yeah, hey, if uh, anyone wants to talk about the stories we talked about this week, head on over to nerdofthestreet.com. We've got forums. Uh, we have an entire forum section just for rolling release. If you want to post stories that you think we should cover, that's the place to do that. And uh, yeah, if you want to find me throughout the week, nerdofthestreet.com is the place to do that. Richard, where do you want to send people if they want to find you throughout the week? Um, probably on Twitter, which is at glorf22. So yeah, for this week, that's everything. I'm Jacob Kaufman. I'm Richard Bimmer. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye.